Can you really build multiple streams of recurring income? Hi, I'm Rob Moore, host of Disruptors and author of Money. This is Harry Kumar, who is producer of Disruptors and our interview host. In this episode, we're discussing all things passive income. Is it real and legit? Or is it a scam? How do you protect yourself from all the bullshit out there? Can you really build multiple streams of recurring income? Now, money is one of my favorite subjects. And I think we need to talk a lot more about money in society and culture. We need to change the way our education system is built around money. Is passive income real or a scam? Both. So it's the easiest thing in wealth creation to sell. So if you think about cosmetics and filters, in the world of making people more beautiful, the quick pill, the fat burner pill, or the reduce and reverse aging cream, they're really easy to sell and to oversell. And in the world of business and entrepreneurship and starting a side hustle, the easiest bullshit scam to peddle is passive income. And what you have to ask yourself is, if someone is peddling passive income, do they have multiple streams of passive income? Are they teaching you what they've done or are they teaching you as their mainstream of income? So I've been a property investor 17 years and I probably had 50 properties bought and sold in my portfolio with my business partner before I even considered teaching others how to do the same. Whereas some people, they watch some YouTube videos and they listen to some podcasts and they think, oh, selling property content is actually easier than buying property. I'll do that and I'll bullshit about the results that I've got. Now, the thing with those that peddle passive income is you can't just blame them. You have to also blame the consumer. Because if the consumer won't work hard enough to not have to work hard, if the consumer won't set to forget, if the consumer won't put in the graft to build the craft, then the provider and the producer is only giving the consumer what it's asking for. So imagine planting a seed. You don't come back the next day and go, well, where's my fucking tree? And you go back to the person who sold you the pack of seeds this is bullshit. I want a jack in the beanstalk. This is a scam. It's not growing quick enough. No. You expect when you plant a seed for roots to grow down. And when roots grow down, they're pushing through soil. They are growing strength through resistance. And only when the roots have gone very deep do you get the first shoot. And only when you have the full tree do you then have the fruits. And people are unrealistically expecting it to be easy because they don't want it to be hard. They're avoiding the hard and therefore they're avoiding the best. So for me, hard now, easy later. Build a, an asset that has good people, good processes, good systems, automation ability, is in a proven asset class, spend long enough doing that, and then the passive income flows. I know this because I have one property that makes gross 1.45 million and net 700,000 pounds. I have one property that I don't even do 10 minutes work a week on, and it makes 700,000 pounds net, net after all costs. I have a portfolio worth tens of millions of pounds probably not far off pushing a $100 million value. And it makes me millions in recurring and passive income. And it is truly passive now, but it wasn't truly passive then. And have you ever heard of the band Slade who wrote that famous Christmas number one? Yes. Do you think in their early days they were gigging in shitty bars and clubs to 10 people? Yes. Yes. But have they had to re-record and rewrite and rework that famous Christmas number one over the last 45 or 50 years? Nope. No. They earn half a million pounds every year without fail in royalties from its Christmas. So 
Is that passive income? Yes. But did they have to set it up 45, 50 years ago? Yes. So when you started your entrepreneurial journey almost 20 years ago, what did you think passive income was? And now what is the reality of it with all your experience? Well, honestly, I probably was naive. So I thought, yeah, passive income. I like the idea of doing fuck all and making loads. But I'll tell you why that doesn't work. Because I wrote in my book, Money, the formula for wealth, which is wealth equals perceived value plus fair exchange times leverage. Now we'll do the whole formula in another video, but fair exchange is in the middle of that formula. Wealth equals perceived value plus fair exchange times leverage. Now fair exchange, which is a scalable, the only scalable way to build wealth is where you as the consumer are happy with what you bought. You paid fair money, i.e. you don't think, oh, I paid so little, I nicked it. But you don't think, oh, I paid too much and I was ripped off. You think it was fair. Like, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you have a really nice meal, you're prepared to give a bigger tip and you feel it's valuable. You and I, we had um, a couple of steaks at a restaurant that we won't name, which didn't taste bad, but they were so small that we felt ripped off with our 120 quid. Whereas we've had 300 quid dinners where we've wanted to give a, a 50 quid tip. So you have to have fair exchange to build sustainable and scalable wealth. And that's when the consumer is happy and felt they got good value, but the producer is happy and felt like they could make a fair profit. If I sold something to you and I couldn't make any profit and I had to do more work than was worth it, I would resent you. But if I ripped you off, I might feel guilty if I have a soul. You would resent me if I overcharged you. You might feel guilty if you underpaid if you have a soul. So the reason that passive income without the work is a scam is because there's no value to the world in you just receiving a load of passive income without doing any work. But the more work you do at the start, i.e. the more fair exchange value you create, I have 360 property units in my portfolio and 1,350 tenants and one of, if not the biggest lettings, management companies in Peterborough for property. And maybe myself and my business partner, maybe we are the biggest private landlords in our city. So we've created value for 1,350 tenants. That's the ones we've still got. Thousands of tenants. You know, we have over 100 people in this office. So their mortgages are being paid, their taxes are being paid. You know, pay millions in taxes. We provide um, the council with lots of planning fees. We provide the government with VAT and corp tax and income tax and national insurance and pension contributions. So we have built this asset machine, which churns out millions of pounds. But it's not like we did it overnight or got given it, but it's also not like it screws everyone. There has to be fair exchange. And when there's fair exchange, then you can build passive income. But you have to set to forget, work hard enough not to have to work hard. You have to do what Slade did. You have to get good at your craft and then create an asset. And most people don't think of a song as an asset, but a song is an asset. Um, content is an asset. Information is an asset. A podcast is an asset. A YouTube channel is an asset. An e-com shop is an asset. There's so many different types of assets, but people are looking to get rich quick when they should be looking to get rich long. So is true passive income just a bullshit buzzword? No. True passive income exists. But it's the easiest thing to sell, like the face cream that makes you 20 years younger. Some people say there is no such thing as passive income. I disagree, but I know where they're coming from. You cannot say nothing, do nothing, be nothing, and give nothing, and create passive income. You can't. But you can build an asset and set that asset up correctly so that it pays passive income. So at the moment, two of my information businesses, you know the main ones, they start with Progressive, are, are running at about two million a month in sales. And as you know, because you're my head producer and brand manager, I am doing minimum amount of work at the moment. 
training for a fight, obsessing about that. I'm, I'm doing no more than an hour a day work because I'm obsessing on the training. So, okay, that's gross, not net. But two of my companies are doing on average 2 million a month in sales and I'm hardly working. So that is passive income. It is. It's undeniable that it's passive income. But it's passive to me, but it's not passive to my 105 staff in the office and however many outsourcers we've got. Sometimes it seems like we have thousands of them, pay a lot of people. It's not passive um, in that I didn't build anything. I did build something. I built the UK's largest property training company. Now, by the way, in lockdown, was my training business passive income? No, because I was working 16 hours a day because I was worried that the government might make it illegal to run a business. Well, they did, didn't they, for a while. So um, passive income is real, but you have to build it first. Like the pyramids have been there for how many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. They are magnificent in stature. They are magnificent in stature and structure. But I don't know how long they took to build. They have last thousands of years, but maybe they took hundreds of years to build. Maybe a thousand people died building the pyramids. So building the UK's largest property training company that generates two million a month in recurring, residual and passive income for me, didn't come without graft and sweat. So what was your first business that brought in passive income? It was property investing. So the setting and the sweating of property investing is acquiring the property, negotiating the property, financing the property, getting a tenant in the property, insuring the property, etc. But the thing with property is it is actually one of the best ways to create passive income because once the tenant is in and all those things are set, then over the six month or 12 month or 25 year tenancy, the income is passive. But remember, I was naive at the start. And sometimes it's good to be naive because if you really knew how hard it was, you probably wouldn't start. So I naively thought, well, property is passive income because that's what all the gurus are telling me. So I'll just get a property and then it'll be passive. Well, it might take you three to six months to buy it and it might, take you one or two tenants and some voids and some bad debt and some evictions and some bad refurbs and anything that probably can go wrong probably will go wrong. And that's like planting the seed and the growing the roots. But once you've got over all those hurdles and you've got your tenant in, then it is semi-passive. And then what you need is someone to manage the ongoing management and maintenance and then it's passive. So for me, property went from active to semi-passive to passive. And now, like I said, I don't even do 10 minutes a week. I don't even do five minutes a week. I probably do two minutes a week. And that's a conversation with, you know, my partners on my property portfolio and have hundreds of units and tens of millions of pounds in property. So that was the first business where I figured out how to create passive income. Now, here's a little trick on passive income that people don't teach you. Once you've built one asset in passive income, what you want to do is have spin-off assets on the same asset. Because let's say it took me, honestly, mate, it probably took me two to three years to get my first truly passive income. It took me less time to make good money. I made 100 grand in my first year. I bought 20 properties in year one, 50 properties in year two. But that was active income, not passive income. That was occurring income, not recurring income. And it only truly felt passive when we got a good management company and we knew what a good tenant was. Because we've had tenants now for 17 years who never say a word and who maintain our properties for us. And they do the refurbs for us. And they see it as their house and they never want to leave. And that's a truly passive income when you've got a tenant that maintains your asset, leveraging someone else to maintain your asset. But all of that probably took me about three years to get my head around and set up the systems and work out the, the realities. And by the way, it can be quicker. For example, membership sites, if we get to talk about that. But I was just a bit naive about what you needed to, to do to set up. But imagine if I'd have done that and got all that experience and knowledge, 
And then I, I said to you, I'm going to go and get a law degree. Well, that might take you seven years. And then I've got to do a load of pro bono work or just work as an understudy. It might take me 10 to 15 years to become a lawyer. And that's not passive income. That's active income. That's hard graft. And imagine if I decided once I build my property business to start trading. Because trading is where all the schemey... Trading on crypto. They're the big red flags where everyone says you can make passive income. Why? Because they're the ones that are easily packageable to just be click a button. Just put your money there. They're, they're the ones that are the most marketable for that. Everyone knows you can't make passive income being a nurse. So no one's going to peddle that. But, you know, I'll just buy this trade, this stock, just get this piece of software and just put your money here and passive income. A lot of the time you have to be careful with that because you're actually giving your money to someone else. And so essentially you're risking lending your money to them and you don't know. You know when people were putting all their money into crypto, but they weren't, they were putting it on exchanges. Mm. They thought they were investing into crypto. No, they weren't. They were putting money in someone else's platform. FTX wasn't a crypto. It was somebody else's platform. I.e., it's like just lending you money. It's like me giving you money and you telling me you're a cryptocurrency. Hey, Rob, I'm a cryptocurrency. Just, you know, put money in me and you can get a massive return. Well, actually, no, I've just given you money. So this is why crypto, Forex, trading are so easily marketable as passive income. Now, here's the thing. People who fall for passive income scams are usually people who don't know what they want, don't know how business really works, and don't have high self-worth. So if you had low self-worth, you're going to rely on others to increase your net worth. If you have high self-worth, you're only going to rely on yourself to increase your net worth. So no one who's clear of vision and strategy and has got a really good business model that they're executing has ever fallen for a passive income scheme. It's people who are confused, who are overwhelmed, who are emotionally all over the place, who don't value themselves enough. So once I built this property business, I quickly figured out, well, I could write a book on what I've achieved in the last three years. Now, let me ask you this. Is a book passive income? It can be. Yes and no. Mm. If you spend two years writing a book and you make no sales, that's not even occurring income, let alone recurring income. However, if you spend six to 12 months writing a book, leveraging an asset you already have, and then you sell a million copies in two years, the only active part of writing that book was writing that book. Once that book is written and it's on Amazon and the audio is on Audible, from that day, that's passive income. People often ask me, Rob, why do you write so many books? Why have you written 18 books, 18 income streams? And some of those books took me two to three months. And one of those books took me two to three years. But once that book is published, all income from there is passive. So a trick that people don't teach you is build up your one income stream, your one business model, your one niche, and then create a load of cross-stream leverage niches or sub-niches or spin-off niches. You know you get these series and they're really successful and then there's a spin-off series like Breaking Bad and then there's a spin-off of Better Call Saul. Why? Because they're leveraging the success of Breaking Bad. So Better Call Saul spins off. That's what you do to build passive income. One asset in property, and now I have eight or 10 assets in property. I've written multiple books in property. I've got a management company in property. We do commercial developments in property. I've got the biggest training company in the UK in property. I've got membership sites on property. I've got podcasts and YouTube channels on property, and they all earn income. And they're all now passive. I call it cross-stream leverage. I actually wrote about it in my book, Multiple Streams of Property Income. It's probably the secret most people don't know. Like when you get good at something, 
then you can create five or 10 income streams. Like think about Michael Jordan. So he got really good at basketball and then he collaborated with Nike. I mean, do the research, but do you reckon he made more out of basketball or Nike? Nike. Nike. And then he makes money out of Netflix series. Merch. Mm, merch Conor McGregor. Is Conor McGregor in the top three fighters pound for pound in the world? Not anymore. Has he ever been? Like, has he ever been, really? Arguably not. Mm. Mm. But do you know who has eight of the ten highest pay-per-view buys in UFC history? <laughs> Conor, Conor McGregor. McGregor. So... Eight out of the ten biggest viewed fights in UFC involve Conor McGregor. Now, I'm not saying Conor McGregor's not a good fighter, but he's, I don't know if he's even ranked in the top ten now. Probably not. No. But he has created an asset out of himself, and he has created multiple streams of income from the assets of himself, his social media, his whiskey brand, his partnerships, his endorsements. He has made himself an asset and created multiple streams. Do you think he distills the whiskey? Sorry, I just spat on you. <laughs> Conor McGregor doesn't distill his whiskey. He'll have some smart, good whiskey maker. He's just the marketer, the promoter. He's the face. He's the yeah. face. Mm. He's making passive income out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the trick. Get good at something and then loads of spin-off assets. Now, what people also don't understand about passive income is there's only one way to make passive income. One way. One way. Asset. You either work or you have an asset. You work hard for your money or your money works hard for you. Now, a lawyer could earn a million a year, but they're doing 16-hour days. That's not passive income. Let me ask you this. Would you rather work 16 hours a day and earn 100 grand or two hours a day and earn 50 grand. You don't have to answer this, but it's a, a dichotomy. So being a doctor, a dentist and a lawyer is earned income. Passive income only comes from asset, a property, a business, software, system, membership site, information, content, social media, brand, partnerships, collaborations. Like your black book of contacts could be your asset. Being an affiliate, your database, your followers, these are all assets. All right, there's loads of things going through my head. I just want to take the conversation back a little bit when you were talking about the schemers and scammers and people peddling shit. So I saw a report literally yesterday and it was uh, financial YouTubers who had made kind of fucked up basically so they on their youtube channel they have been publishing uh lots of videos about these are the best stocks to invest in for passive income or that are going to 10x and one youtuber if you followed his advice you would have lost 53 percent on your money and just putting your money into a very basic asset or even the s p 500 yeah would have returned five eight percent but people don't find that sexy so what's that dichotomy that paradox between people want to go for the high returns but at the end of the day, is it not just best just to play it safe even if you're only getting 5 8% from your, from your asset, your property, your whatever it is? Well, 5 to 8% is not a bad return. But it's not sexy, is it? No, when, when but it's realistic. Yeah. So I think the word realistic is the important part here because we all know it's unrealistic to think that you can jump off the Burj Khalifa and survive. It's pretty obvious. And making 1% a day or 5 to 8% a week when the biggest professionals who've studied the markets for decades, like Warren Buffett, are happy with 5 to 8% a year, surely it should be obvious that something is up. I think it's also important to study longevity and history. Because when there was the gold rush, I'm sure people made way above average returns at the start. Just like when there's the crypto rush or the e-com rush. When something starts and there's an initial rush, it is possible to make higher than average returns. 
because everyone's interested in it. Money is moving from other classes into it. But what you don't have is history and longevity. Whereas with property, you have a thousand years of data. So number one is be realistic. Number two is look for history. So in 1088, around the day of the doomsday book, there is proof and research that the entire land and real estate value of the UK was about a million pounds. Now in London, you can't get a four bed terraced house no. in some areas mm. for a million pounds or a three bed terrace or a, a studio apartment or a garage. <laughs> so there is proven history. Remember, when you are naive, when your emotions are volatile and when your self-worth is low, you're far more likely to fall for unrealistic schemes and scams. So five to eight percent a year is a sustainable, proven and realistic return. So wouldn't it be best to build an asset and go for that, which is far more guaranteed than to take a risk to go to anything that's a lot higher? And I know that anything above a double digit return a year is high risk. I'm not saying it's not possible. It's just high risk. The higher the return, the higher the risk. The lower the return, the lower the risk. You cannot have all upside without downside. So if you have a good appetite for risk, go for a higher return. Here's something else with return that people don't understand. The lower the return, the more passive it can be. The higher the return, the more active it needs to be. So for example, I could buy a property training business or a lettings business. I could buy a distressed company in those niches that um, I believe are undervalued, that are struggling, that are making a loss. I could take them on and turn them round and make a profit. I've done it loads of times, but I couldn't do it passively. I'd have to get involved. I'd have to look at the staffing, look at the overheads, look at the balance sheet, look at the profit and loss, look at the marketing strategy, look at the client list, look at the bad debt. I'd have to get involved. So I could make a hundred or five hundred percent return on a business that I turned around with my sweat equity, but I couldn't do it passively. But I could buy a house and currently I, I could make a 10% gross yield. So also you've got to know what you're good at. I'm not good at the stock market, but I'm better than all those schemers and scammers. And I'm better than those high returns because I accept low returns because I accept I'm not good at them. So my strategy for buying stocks is um, S&P 500, FTSE 100, or a fund as opposed to a single stock. Because mm. I don't know that single stock. You've got to know that single stock. I know you've had a couple of punts. <laughs> uh, my business partner, you know, he likes, he likes undervalued companies. So if Rolls Royce or Boeing or a bank or a lender, are, you know, really low, but he thinks they're fundamentally good, he'll go in and he'll trade. But, you know, he does a lot of research. Whereas I buy, hold, die on a diversified managed fund where the risk is reduced, but therefore the return is reduced. But five to eight percent compounded over 20 years, continually reinvested is a lot of money. You can retire on that. So do you think people have just got deluded then because of how crazy the market's been in the last few years that some people were putting in just a few thousand pounds and getting thousands of percent return on their money in cryptos and stocks? But were they though? Here's the thing. Most people weren't, no, well, but some people were, which then creates a frenzy, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, I don't know what the percentage is, but if you said to me, Rob, have a guess of the percentage of all the people that put money into crypto that um, timed it just right when it went to the moon <laughs> and they made millions. I bet you it's 0.01%. Yeah, yeah. And then I bet you there's 30% of those people who lost a load of their money but won't admit it. And I bet you there's loads of them that did go on the up, but then lost it all. Mm. Um, I know loads of people who were making millions in crypto, not through smarts and intelligence, just through the riding of the wave, but then lost it all. Have you heard of the Dogecoin millionaire? Um, I've heard of Dogecoin, the uh, Elon Musk's... Yeah. Did he pump it? I don't know. Go on, tell me about the Dogecoin so millionaire. I forgot the name of this guy, um, but during when the whole uh, crypto bull run was at its absolute highest, so 2021, uh, there was a guy who sold everything he owned, everything, his house, his cars, everything, and he, I think he had $100,000 or something like that. He was in America, and he put it all into Dogecoin, and it got to $2 million, and he didn't exit, and 
as far as I know, he still has Dogecoin and it's basically worthless now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in virtually every crypto, even currently Bitcoin, that's the common story. Mm. I, I had dinner with someone who says, I have 100% of my net worth in crypto. <laughs> and maybe he's all right today, but what about tomorrow? Mm. Now, by the way, I'm not a crypto hater. I think that the blockchain and cryptos, I think they've got equal upside to downside. But let's have a chat in 30 years. Because in 30 years, if cryptos are the accepted currencies and they've got proven growth, it was a good investment. If not, it wasn't. Now I've got a little tip. By the way, I don't do advice. I do experience. But let's say, because you can get into asset classes in the ride of the wave. Like if you think of business models and industries, you ideally want to get in quite close to the start. If you're too close at the start, where it's unproven and untested, that's too risky. If you're too late, like if you want to invest in an insurance company now, it's just going to be really slow growth forever because insurance companies are thousands of years old. So there's nothing wrong with getting in fairly early in a trend, late enough so the early adopters have started it and taken all the risk and you come in just after them. And there's probably going to be a new business model every one to two years that you can do that. Ecom on, on Amazon was that. Um, there are many cryptos that are like that. Here's a tip. Put some money in that you can afford to lose. We call that risk capital. So mistake number one is they overexpose themselves. So let's say it's five or 10% of your net worth. I would definitely not say more than 10%. I'd be more near five. So step one, put risk capital you can afford to lose in. So when you lose it, it doesn't matter. And by the way, if you lose 5% of your net worth, but you get a great lesson, that was an investment and it can be a tax write-off. So losing money can be good if you get the lesson and it's a tax write-off. Step two, if you are in a bull run and you start to make money, cash some out in stages. People think that leaving their money in is the opposite of greed. No, leaving your money in too long is greed, i.e. I wanted to make more money. So step one, invest risk capital. You've got a bit of a growth, take your initial investment out. Now you've lost nothing. Let it grow, take a bit out. Let it grow, take a bit out. Now with crypto, a lot of people didn't do that because they don't like fiat currency. They wanted to be in crypto because fundamentally their values are against fiat. But you still need fiat currency. So what you could do is money from fiat into crypto, take your initial investment out, Maybe you have a rule. Every six months, I'll draw 30% of my profits. Or, you know, you can make up your own rule. And then you put that back into fiat and then you put it into other, other assets. Now, what you find is people who invest in risky, volatile assets don't invest in secure assets. And people who invest in secure assets like Warren Buffett don't invest in crypto. But you can do both. Something to think about. Can you give me a breakdown of your passive income streams? Yeah, sure. So... Property and real estate, tens of millions in capital and income. Two training companies currently running at two million a month in sales. Membership site, Rob.team. So Rob.team at one point almost hit 10,000 members times six pound a month, that's 60 grand a month. And then with um, my gold level and an event I run twice a year, that's probably about 1.1 million a year in income. I do about 60 minutes of content a week for that. I'm at the stage now where I don't have to because I've got a massive vault of content, as you know, because you have to go through it. Um, all my books, money, life leverage. Start now, get perfect later. There's 18 of them. Then, here's the thing. Just recording that onto audio makes another asset mm. out of the asset. So if you think about the best way to create passive income is build an asset that produces passive income and then replicate it in other places. So for example, if Tim Ferriss did this really well, big shout out to Tim on this, 
great leverage. I mean, I wrote the book Life Leverage, but this was, this was, <laughs> this was leverage. So Tim Ferriss interviewed a load of people on his podcast. Um, and then he took all the best bits and put it into his book, Tools of Titans. And then he sold the book back to all of his podcast listeners. So is his podcast an asset? Yes and no. Yes, it's an asset in that it makes him, I'm sure it makes him millions from the sponsorship, the endorsements, the ads. But he still has to find the guest. He still has to create the questions and he still has to do the interview. So I'd say it's semi-passive. But then taking all that content and then creating tools of titans, that is now passive income from asset he created years ago. By the way, as well, what's even double clever with tools of titans um, is he then created another book called Tribe of Mentors doing the same thing again. And the information in Tools of Titans isn't even from Tim Ferriss's brain. He didn't even have to create it. His guests created it. We'll do this one day with Disruptors when mm. we're ready. Um, I know Stephen Bartlett's just done it. I'm sure he modeled it on, on Tim Ferriss. So when all my books bar routine equals results isn't, but all of the others, they're also flipped onto audio. Now it, take, it took me a week in the studio to read money and I didn't like it, but what, that's done now. So books into audiobooks. Property management. I've got a property management company in there. Manages 1,350 tenants. Occasionally, we lend money. We mostly don't, but occasionally we do. Um, so as long as you've got good security, that can be passive income. Um, my podcast, some, sometimes we have sponsors and sometimes... We just promote our boxing matches or our boxing match. <laughs> or um, we promote Rob.team. I had a main sponsor that paid $131,000 up front and then $150 per client that they received from our ads. Um, my NFTs. Um, I sold about 40 NFTs. They made nearly a million pounds. Um, the YouTube channel with the ads and the sponsorship and all of that. So I don't know how many we've picked there. But, oh, I used to earn, before the algo changed, I could easily earn 10 grand a month just on the in-stream ads on my Facebook Lives. Mm. We're now testing reels, aren't we, on a, on a bigger scale on all of our socials to see if we can get the in-stream ad revenue from those. So, I don't know, there, there must be eight to 10. And, yeah, they're all from the same asset of information and they're all mostly passive. Now, here's a quick tip to make something that's mostly passive or semi-passive passive. Get someone to manage it. So if I was MD of Progressive, this two million a month in sales would not be uh, passive at all, it would be active. I'd be in the office every day, sat in the corner watching everyone, and I'd be in at eight and out at six, and I'd be on my emails and WhatsApps in the evening. But because I have staff, you're one person away from your active stressful income becoming recurring and residual and multiple. If you've got a good VA, all the admin can be outsourced. If you've got a good manager. So we've gone through this journey because I hired you to do the editing. So I just had to do the content. Now you hire someone to do the editing so you can focus on the brand. Mm. So. Each time you get more people and processes and systems in place, you go either to a higher level of more money because you can work harder on higher income generating tasks or you become more passive and less active because someone else takes on all the active activities. I'm assuming your property and real estate portfolio is your most valuable passive income. Would I be correct? Valuable has many connotations. So... In our best year, our training businesses will produce more income than the 360 property units that we own. In lockdown, <laughs> our property portfolio was the only income we were drawing because in the training business, we decided for six months to stop drawing to um, keep capital reserves because we just did know, not know what was going to happen in the world. So I couldn't actually say it depends on best and worst years. 
But that's why you need multiple streams of income. Because if there's a lockdown and it screws one of your businesses, you've got another business that's paying for it. Mm. If there's a massive crash in the economy or a certain asset class gets hammered, there's another income stream replacing it. So maybe we should do another video on multiple streams of income because we've only really talked about, talked about passive income. So yeah, the property business and the training business, they are different, but based on the same thing. And they're counter cyclical, which means when one is doing well, maybe the other isn't so much. And when one needs to support, the other one's supporting it. All right, let's just take this hypothesis. So let's just say you have to replace your property portfolio with another passive income asset, which you currently don't have. What would that business, what would that asset be? That I currently don't have. And you're not in the game right now, yeah. What would you replace it with? Well, with the, here's what I would need. I don't know that this exists. But because I have multiple streams of income from information, I'd want what replaces my property portfolio to be physical, like bricks and mortar. <laughs> Hence why I like it. Because information can be shut down overnight. Andrew Tate, banned, cancelled. Yeah. Facebook changed their algorithm. All of a sudden, my Facebook lives go from millions of views to thousands of views, low thousands. So with information, that can happen just like that, where it can be really like a roller coaster. With real estate, it's bricks and mortar. Even these shitty new builds that they build will still last 100 <laughs> years. Still, just. Mm. So I've got to replace property with another physical asset, but there's nothing like property. Gold? Well, the thing with gold is you can't leverage it. So with property, I can buy it no money down or with other people's money or with a 30% deposit. So, um, you know, we were talking about the 5 to 8% return. Mm. That's on the full value of the property. But if I only put in 20% or 30%, I'm earning 5 to 8% on the full value, but I only put in 25 to 25%. So my actual ROI, well, my actual ROCE, return on capital employed, is quadruple, 5 to 8% because I can leave her up with bank finance or private finance. So the thing with gold, gold is secure. Gold has utility. It's not as much utility as property, but it has utility. Um, but it's not leverageable. So, yeah, I mean, if I had $80 million worth of gold, how do I make income from it? It's a fucking headache as well. Why the hell does that go? Well, where do you store it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to pay for that storage mm. and pay for the insurance and worry about the theft and the security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like if you transport it, you've got that security mm. risk. This is why people love crypto. Because you don't have those issues with Bitcoin that you do with gold. Storage, insurance, security, moving through space and time. You can move Bitcoin through space and time in seconds. You can't transport 100 million worth of gold in seconds without security. Imagine trying to take 80 million worth of gold through customs <laughs> and putting it on the aeroplane. So, so what gold doesn't have is an income stream. Property is one of the few assets that is capital-based, i.e. it goes up in value. It's a good store of capital a capital appreciation, but it also has income. Now, so I wouldn't replace property with gold. I want some gold, but it's a currency hedge. It's a hedge against a revolution. Because if fiat currency is worthless and there's a revolution, gold all might be what we go back to trading. Watches, like watches have appreciated greatly since lockdown, but watches don't create income. So if I've got 80 million worth of gold, if I want to take some income from it, I've got to sell some of it. Mm. So ooh, I want a million. All right, I've got to sell a million. Oh, I now only have 79 million worth of gold. So I'm slaying the goose bit by bit. So then the only other, I can't think of anything that has capital and income like real estate. So I'd have to, I'd have to choose a business. I'd probably start a new business and I'd probably buy the unit so I could cheekily get back into property and hack your question because I can own the building um, and I'd, I'd start some kind of business 
Probably not retail. Probably not leisure restaurants, because I think restaurants, are, I don't know, Deliveroo's done pretty well, hasn't it? Some restaurants have done okay. But retail's been hit quite hard. It's different now. People shop online. They shop differently. I'd maybe look at trends of people's behaviour. You know, look at Netflix. You know, it, was, it was ruling the world, wasn't it? And now you've got Apple TV+, Plus, Disney+. Plus. You've got all these other competitors now. I imagine Netflix growth is going to really slow their, up. Their stock is absolutely plummeting. Well, there you yeah. go. And then of this is all this thing with their um, security and people not sharing. The reason that they're coming down on people sharing logins is because they want to make more money. Just like the reason Elon Musk is taking off the verified tick, because he wants more money. Um, so, yeah, I'd look at business where there's new problems in the world that need solving and there's people struggling with pain look to solve those problems. So is property the only God-tier passive income asset? No. It's the only God-tier capital, equity and income asset. But, I mean, Michael Jackson off of his back catalogue of songs and the Beatle off their back catalogue of songs must have made hundreds of millions. So if I could sing like them, that would be God tier. Exactly. If you could sing like them. Yeah. Only they could have yeah. achieved that. Do you know that Michael Jackson um, was getting some, let's call it feedback from Eminem. Eminem was giving Michael Jackson some shit. Mm -hmm. I know Michael Jackson's bodyguard really well. So instead of engaging in public discourse and trolling, he just went and bought his entire back catalogue of music and said, I now own your music. Mm. So if, if you are an artist and you make art, which is music, dance, physical paintings, they are assets. And you can build a catalogue. So Damien Hurst, who just NFT did a load of NFTs in his art, he created physical art. And if you bought the NFT of the physical art, he would burn the physical art. Therefore, your asset is an NFT. And he even got people to make his own designs for him. So I'd love to interview Damien Hurst. If anyone knows Damien Hurst, he's got to be on the show. I'm friends with one of his best friends. And I asked and his best friend said, Damien, we'll never do your interview. And we nearly got him. We need Damien on the show. He'd be great for the show. It's perfect fit. But Damien has had other people throw paint on a canvas for him. Damien has had other people design art for him. That is the ultimate leverage. And that is virtually passive income. So I don't know any other asset. And if you do, put it in the comments, by the way, that there may be others and there may be emerging assets. I don't know any other asset where you can put less money in to buy it than it's worth, get a mainstream bank to lend you the rest, have equity by buying below market value or adding value, getting capital appreciation and having income. So it's the God tier asset for ticking all the boxes. It's the only one that ticks all the boxes. Like I've got a big watch collection, as you know, and I love watches. Um, and, and I've made money on nearly all my watches, maybe all of my watches now. But they don't pay me money every day or week or month. I have to sell this to realise the gain. And then I might be um, in for capital gains tax. You have to kill the goose. Exactly. You have to slay the goose. You want the eggs. Mm. Yeah, you don't want the one feast. You want the eggs. <laughs> What are the worst businesses for passive income? Being a nurse. Um, being a self-employed tradesman. Mm, yeah. um, anything where you're do, doing all the manual labour. The more manual it is, the worse it is for passive. It's active. Um, and I, by the way, I'm not saying those trades or businesses are wrong. I would argue nurses are unfairly paid and undervalued, but mostly when you're employed and you're doing manual type work for others, you're, installation, you're installing, or you've set up your own business, but you haven't got any staff and you're doing everything yourself, that's common. I mean, sometimes being self-employed, 
people think they own a business. They don't. They're doing more hours and they've got more responsibility and they're making less than when they had a job. Because at least on a job, when you clock out at 5.30, you can clock out until tomorrow morning. When you own a business, you can't ever clock out. So something I've learned the hard way, like with everything else in my life, is scaling. And you, you mentioned about kind of small uh, to medium-sized business owners there. I see a lot of business owners who, for whatever reason, they're not scaling. They're doing every single job. And eventually, even though they own the business, they're working for the business. The business isn't working for them. So it can't ever be passive income. So when you started this business with Mark you know, 17, 18 years ago, what were the stumbling blocks that stopped you at the start? And what was that breakthrough when you went from, it was just you and Mark to bringing in the staff to then making it a passive income business? Was it just cash flow? Was it cash was it, or was it something else? It wasn't cash, but that's what people think it is. It wasn't. People think I can't hire staff, I can't get subscriptions and software, I can't get consultants in, I can't spend on marketing because I haven't got enough cash. But if you don't do those things, you'll never grow, so you'll never have enough cash. So most people, when they talk to you about business and entrepreneurship that aren't peddling some scam, will tell you about hustle and grind and working hard. And to get the thing off the ground, that's what you have to do. But to then scale it, you have to do the opposite. So th there's a concept I believe in called intelligent effort. It's like work smart, not hard. It's craft over graft. So I was working 16 hour days, wearing it like a badge of honor, like someone had given me a medal of honor. Yeah, I work harder than everyone else. So yeah, I'm a hustler. You know, like you see a lot on TikTok and places like that now. And to get the thing off the ground, that's probably what you need to do. So I don't know if you've anyone seen World's Strongest Man when they do the truck pull. The strongest men in the world put a ridiculous amount of force in and that truck is hardly moving. I don't know if you know this, but apparently up to 80% in of the fuel in a rocket to get it to its destination is burned getting it off the ground. So to get it off the ground, that's what you've got to do. But once you're out of the atmosphere or once that truck is moving, then it's intelligent effort. So that is staff, outsources, software, processes, automation. So you might invest in a CRM system instead of just using Microsoft or Gmail. You might hire your first VA and get them to do your bookkeeping, your receipts, your DMs, you know, filter your email addresses, help you with your WhatsApp overwhelm. Go in and organize all your documents and spreadsheets. You're going to create processes. So what you used to do is selling and building. And now your processes write down clearly how I sell it and how I built it and then hire Harry. And Harry has this document. This is how you sell it and this is how you grow it. And now you do it. Now I still have to manage you. So my hard work was selling it and building it. My intelligent work is finding someone good like you and writing those, that document and process and then helping you do what I did at the start. And you essentially build a hierarchy where you start as everything, PAVA, MD, CEO, head of marketing, head of sales, head of everything. That's graft, hustle. And then as soon as you can start picking off some of the roles, the responsibilities, the jobs, whether it's systems, software, people, processes, automation, delegation, now you liberate 20% of your time. Because here's the thing, once you get to 10, 8, 12, 16 hours a day, you're at capacity. You, you cannot fill a petrol tank any more than the fuel that you can fill it with. That's it, it's full. And so when you are at 12 hours a day, your performance will start to reduce. You'll get tired. You know, we get this from boxing. We overtrain, we get tired. We get clipped, we get knocked down, we get bloody noses because we're tired, because we're overtraining. There's an optimum. 
Intelligent effort when you're fighting is an optimum level of training. It's not going from two training times a day to three training times a day to four training times a day. It's actually sleeping longer, resting better, eating well. And so now I have 20 odd people in my marketing department and what do you think are in the two sales teams? 40 people, 35? It's gotta be that. Gotta be that. Mm. 105 people in this building. So my intelligent effort is now thinking, collaborating, strategizing, ideating, resting. Who'd have thought you can rest as an entrepreneur, recovering, um, making connections. So that's that. Remember that analogy of the truck pull. Intelligent effort. So I know a lot of people will be listening to this and there'll be those vibing with it and the others will be like, well, I can't afford to bring in staff or I don't want to pay the money to bring in staff. So even if... Well, they're different things. Let me just yeah, okay. interrupt real quick. Um, anyone who doesn't want to bring in staff either has had a bad experience or thinks it's not going to work. But imagine you went on your first date and it didn't go that well. You're not going to go to me, well, fuck women. <laughs> I'm over women. All women are... Fuck that. Nah. I'm going to become a priest. It, it, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like that woman didn't work, therefore women don't work. Now you're going to try again and you're going to go through some broken relationships and you're going to date till you find the right one. And even when you find the right one, that's good, there's going to be challenges. So anyone who's tried to hire and it didn't work and has become jaundiced from that and doesn't want to do that anymore, just hasn't found the right person, got the right processes and systems to manage the right person, and has given up. And then anyone who hasn't done that yet but thinks that's bad is only thinking about the downsides of management. As you know, I love having lots of staff. I help with people's mortgages and holidays and pay millions and millions in taxes and we've got a buzz and an energy and a culture and we've got a mission and I've I've also got 104 people who can help me when I need to get shit done. So that's the don't want to or can't hire staff. When it comes to affording it, people have just got it the wrong way around. This one's actually pretty easy. People say, I can't afford it. I say, you can't afford not to. People say, I can't afford to hire staff because I haven't got any money. But you're busy doing low value admin tasks that stops you making money. Whereas if you start doing high value sales and marketing tasks that makes you money, all of a sudden you liberate your time and you make money and you can hire staff and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, if you want to think about investments, we've talked a bit about assets and investments. No one talks about people. Human resource. Like, I love property, I love information, I love membership sites, I love social media. But you could argue my best assets are my human resources. My staff, my team. If it was me on my own, I might be able to do 150 grand a year selling and hustling. I don't know, maybe I could do 200. I'd need a VA, so I couldn't do it on my own. But with 100 people, I can do 2 million a month, month, not a year. And I know we could do, I know we could do 3 million on the current resources we've got a a month. Just need to figure out that, going through that next ceiling. Okay, let's take this example then. Let's imagine someone's a plumber and they're doing all the jobs. They're on the tools, they're driving the van, they're doing the books, they're doing all the work. What steps should they do to bring in staff so they can step back and allow that business to become passive. Okay, so what a plumber first needs to do is find out how they're better and different than all the other plumbers. So think about that. Next thing you need to do is you need to have a way about you that makes you different and unique. I don't know if it's your um, customer service or your speed. There was this really cool viral piece of content that went out where a tradesperson, he went and did a job for like a 90 something year old lady. And he sent her an invoice and he said, zero. And he wrote, he detailed all the work he did. And it was zero because she was 95, because she was a pensioner, blah, blah, blah. And someone put that on the, on the internet and that went viral because that's uncommon. So um, anyone who wants to grow any business, you need to find unique and uncommon things that you can do that's different. Why? One, so you attract customers, but two, so you attract people who want to work for you. Like if you imagine when Steve Jobs took back over Apple, 
And people would leave other good tech companies to go and work for Steve Jobs, to go and work for Apple. He even pitched to the head of Pepsi. Do you want to sell brown sugar water your whole life? Or do you want to come and do something meaningful? So when you do something unique and different, even if you are something like a plumber where you might think you can't, you'll attract customers and you'll attract people. And then that uniqueness of your service, you have to put into a document so that when I hire Harry, Harry can do that same thing. Just like when you go to any McDonald's anywhere in the world, you get the same shit, but it's predictable shit. You get the same wooden chips, but that's what you expect. Sorry, some people like might, might like McDonald's. It is shit. <laughs> um, so once you've got this unique way and it, in a process and a document, then you've got to go and put some ads out there or find that person. Now, I'm finding Indeed really good for recruitment. So you might put an ad on Indeed. You might put an ad on your LinkedIn. When you do an ad, you want to disqualify as much as you qualify, which means you want to say, if you would like a normal nine to five plumbing job, going and fixing toilets and sinks, do not apply. Um, but if you want to be the most disruptive, unique and talked about plumber in the whole of Peterborough, click this link. So you want to disqualify and qualify people. Now, um, what a plumber needs is another plumber who, I think the ideal plumber number two is someone who's tried to be a, run a plumbing business themselves and it didn't work out. Because here's the problem, most people will not hire staff because they're worried about them setting up in competition. I know people like that. You know, our coach, he's worried about people coming in. You know, our coach works in his gym 10 hours a day. His secret to passive income is really simple. Find another coach. His coach mm. does the coaching and he grows the business, gets his second and his third gym. But he, like all other gym owners, are worried about people coming in and then nicking all mm. the um, you know, customers. That's normal. That, that happens. That does happen. But not if you give them a good vision, a good job. Not if they tried it themselves and failed and want... They secretly inside themselves want to be treated like an entrepreneur but they don't want the responsibility and the risk of an entrepreneur. And that's called an intrapreneur. And they're the ideal hires to find your number twos. And then, then you've got to manage them and make sure they do that job and they do that job well. But all of a sudden, you've gone from being on the tools to on the business. You've gone from in the business to on the business. And now you can think, oh, how do we create better branding? How do we find more clients? How do I find another Harry? How do I find 10 Harrys? How do I build a franchise? What ads should I run? And all of a sudden you're working on generating revenue rather than fixing pipes. So would you say you were never a business owner? You were always an entrepreneur then? Yeah, well, for me, an entrepreneur, how they're different from a business owner is they maybe like to jump on trends. They've maybe got multiple businesses. Um, they like to solve valuable and meaningful problems. Now, by the way, a business owner can do that too. Um, so the lines are blurred in terms of the definition. But you might see a business owner as someone who owns a big company or a small company, whereby they're running their main business. Elon Musk, who's got Twitter and SpaceX, had PayPal and put nearly all of his money from PayPal into Tesla. And what's the other? He's got another company. Someone put it in the comments. The boring company. Yeah. And probably another yeah. one. And he'll, he's an entrepreneur. Final question. Would you rather have one fat payday and that money's got to last you for the rest of your life or small recurring passive income, but again, it will last you for the rest of your life? It depends how much the fat payday is. Because choose. I choose. You choose. Okay. I will take the fat payday and I will invest nearly all the money into assets that produce me. You can't invest it. You've got to live off <laughs> it. I can't invest it. It's yeah, like yeah. a goose and I've got to so eat it bit by bit. This is your last paycheck ever. Okay, and you I do, can't invest it. I've just got to live you, off of it. You've got to do whatever you want, but you can't invest it. And with the, with the passive income I get, can I reinvest that to grow it? Do whatever you want, but it's small, recurring for the rest of your life. Guaranteed.
yeah, I'd probably take the recurring income because the best way to build wealth is to reinvest money into assets that produce more income. So if you stop me doing that, I'm never going to be able to get any more wealthy. If you let me do that, I can get more wealthy, even if the passive income is fairly meagre and I can only invest a small amount each month and the lump is fairly big where I can live a decent life for the rest of my life, depending on how long I lived. I take the recurring because if I can invest each month, I can grow and grow and grow and build assets. And then that recurring income will go up and 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 up. And what if with my cash lump, what if the bank closes? What if there's a run on the banks? What if there's fraud? What if it gets nicked? This shit can happen. Mm. So with recurring income, there's less risk. Right, just to wrap up, Rob, to that camera right there. Any closing thoughts about passive income? Passive income is real. If you work hard enough not to have to work hard, if you set to forget, and if you turn graft into craft. But there's only one way, one way to build passive income, and that is by having assets. So if you're still here, I'm guessing you must have got a lot of value from this. Let me know in the comments what you agree with, what you disagree with. Also, please let me know in the comments what you would like us to create content on, because we want to serve you. And before you go, if you want me to talk more about money and assets and income, make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel, and turn the notification bell on. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.